When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. It's Dr. Derek Williams with you here today. Thank you for joining me on the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. This week is my first week of not practicing dentistry. It's a, it's a bit of a, a surreal feeling. If you listened to my last episode, then you were able to hear a lot of my emotions on the day of, of closing and selling my practice. The week after that, I spent time helping the buyer to get comfortable in the practice. Um, I did some dentistry, still seeing patients, helped kind of try and ease everyone's uh, concerns as far as patients and staff. And man, I couldn't have asked for a better week. I just was really happy. I was really impressed with my staff really being a team pulling together and uh, helping to support the the new doc in, in the office. So it was a great week. Uh, I'm glad to have the last couple weeks under my belt at this point because it definitely was stressful for me and tough. And uh, I'm, I'm oh, overall, I'm just feeling very grateful. I, I just feel a lot of gratitude and, and appreciation, mostly for, for my staff. Um, but uh, really also excited for the new doc in, in the office. So I have decided after hearing a decent amount of people uh, reach out and, and ask questions, um, I've decided to do a series of podcasts, the episodes where I kind of dive in and I try and kind of take, turn back the clock and share my experiences over my time in, in dentistry thus far in my life and share with you kind of the steps that I have taken that has allowed me to get to where I'm at in a relatively short amount of time and being able to walk away from hands-on dentistry at the age of 35. So to today's episode uh, is basically going to be everything before graduating from dental school. So I know that we have a lot of dental students that enjoy our podcast, so I would imagine those of you are going to eat this episode up. For others, you may not think that this is super interesting and you may choose to skip it, and that's okay if, if you choose that. But I'm going to try and kind of go back in time, share what was going on in my mind, and try and identify some of the things that I think were really key in helping me to accelerate my success in dentistry. So first, I want to talk about, go back to essentially childhood and, and high school. I've always been pretty interested in money and being and, and saving money and just kind of uh, working hard. You know, since I've, my first job was, I took a paper route when I was eight years old. I, I only, uh, it was a once a week route. So it wasn't too 
too much of a burden. But um, anyway, started out there and I basically just had worked my way through different types of, of jobs. I mowed lawns for myself. I worked in landscaping for several years. I kind of worked my way up, eventually became a foreman at the age of 16, running my own crew. And then I worked for a, a local uh, pest control company um, for uh, several years before dental school. I decided in high school that I wanted to become a dentist. And fortunately, I had some family. My, my grandpa was a dentist, and he sold his practice to my uncle. And I don't know that I would have really been exposed to dentistry too much if, uh, if I didn't have that in the family. I, I decided on healthcare and decided to might as well go shadow my uncle, spend some time in his office. And I ended up just really enjoying it. My uncle actually uh, let me borrow the book by Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was my gateway book. That was the book that I read that made me see the world through new eyes. I've described it before in other episodes, but a lot of people can relate to the movie The Matrix as, as Neo wakes up and sees reality and sees that he's basically just been sitting in this, laying in this tank for his whole life and that his, his, his life was not real. And he, he wakes up out of this and he realizes that everyone else around him is, is still basically asleep in this tank. And that's what I felt like. I felt like what I had rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki was talking about how everyone, pretty much everyone in the world thinks daily about money and if they're going to run out or what they're going to do and about their job. But very, very few of all of those people take the time to educate themselves and learn how can they make money work for them? How can they get more money out of their time? And that just led me on on a new track. I already was interested in money, but this book really opened my mind and helped me realize that I could live uh, a different kind of life. I could I could live an accelerated and an extraordinary life. And I I kind of became devoted at that, at that moment. I said, "Okay, I'm I am going to be committed to to this. I'm, I'm now a disciple of learning how can I follow this path and make so that money works for me. It was then that I came up with the idea that I wanted to hit financial independence by the age of 45. And for those of you that don't know what financial independence means, it just means that you have enough investments or enough uh, passive income so that you don't have to work uh, to support your lifestyle. And I thought at the time that 45 was a pretty aggressive goal. I decided on dentistry because it felt like a really good career for what I was looking for. Most dentists that I knew worked only four days a week, had a pretty good income, had time with their families. Um, it was a good mixture of you know hands-on clinical type things uh, combined with communication skills with patients, combined with business management skills. And I was really interested in it. So I uh, went to college, 
and basically worked up to being able to go to, to dental school. Once I was in dental school, I felt like, okay, I, I know that I'm going to graduate. I know I'm going to finish. I'm not too worried about that. Um, my first year, maybe year and a half, I still was trying to get good grades and keep the options open to specialize. And it just, it, it didn't happen. I was a very average student. So after about a year and a half, I decided that that wasn't really going to be an option for me. And so my attention and energy turned to focusing on how to become the best general dentist that I could and to hit the ground running. I went through a lot of different options for what I could do in dentistry once I had my degree. I've talked a lot about this with my wife and maybe some others that are close to me. I feel that my my biggest personal strength in life is my ability to be open-minded. And that has served me well. It's also been a bit of a curse at times because it's made me struggle with decisions sometimes. Critical thinking, you know, instead of, you know, maybe just picking one path and going, you know, I'm always kind of questioning, is there a better way to do this? And uh, that's that's great. And it's led me to where I am, but it makes the path a little bit more challenging and difficult when you can't just kind of put your head down and just pick away, chip away at something. You know, your brain is continually kind of like evaluating options and kind of going back and forth and, and stuff like that. So, uh, but I do feel like that's an important part of my story because it led me to, to where I got. So I want to share some of those things that I was considering during dental school. The first thing that I was considering was uh, the NHSC, and that is the National Health Service Corps. They provide scholarships to dentists, probably a lot of you know. It's somewhat like the military where you can essentially apply and they'll pay for X amount of years of your school and whatever number of years that is, you basically owe them X amount of years in return working in one of their approved locations. Uh, you still get paid there, but uh, man, I thought, man, that would, be, that would be great. I applied. I did not get the scholarship. And I was pretty bummed at the time because I thought, oh man, okay, I can figure out how to do this. I can, you know, I spent a lot of time figuring out exactly how they ranked and, and give, gave points to decide who would get scholarships and spent a lot of time on my essays. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get it. Let me correct. Fortunately, now looking back, I'm grateful that I didn't get it. But at the time, it was a big letdown. So from there, the, the next thing that I decided on was, okay. I am going to find the best associateship possible. I'm going to basically try and become, learn as much as I can during dental school to hit the ground running, find the best associate position possible where I can make a good amount of money and, and really grow a lot for a year or two, and then I will buy a practice. So that's kind of where my attention turned. And I started focusing really just on, on dental school, on uh, the clinical aspect. And I'll kind of talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. But eventually I decided that I thought that I could get to ownership sooner than that. And I basically decided that I changed my mind and that I wanted to own right out of school. So I started working on my local area. We, I, was, I went to dental school in Creighton, 
at, at Creighton in Omaha, Nebraska. And I basically started uh, looking at all of the dentists in the kind of greater Omaha area. I looked up their licenses and their date of graduation to kind of estimate their age. And basically anyone that was 50 years or older, I started working through and uh, uh, calling them and basically telling them that uh, I wanted to kind of pick their brain and kind of understand their their practice and if they were interested in in figuring out a, a way to transition and, and step back from dentistry and in their practice. So, I mean, this this led to a lot of growth for me personally. I was able to see offices and dentists in that area, understand, you know, their concerns and questions. I didn't find a practice that I was really sold on. I did find some good opportunities, but none that really got me excited. The one that was probably closest to it was there was a group or there was a guy that I actually met that was not a dentist that um, helped to manage offices and was a a part owner in these offices. And um, he basically kind of came up with a track for me where I could work and be given some equity in their practice and uh, help the practice to grow and then eventually buy in more later down the road. And I was very grateful for the time that he gave me. He was his really smart, brilliant guy. Ended up not not pursuing that that path though. There was a uh, another dentist that I met online. It was actually this is kind of strange, but um, I went to a conference in Colorado. Uh, if any of you have heard of Unlock the PPO, uh, Sandy Hudson is one of the partners, and I think they're in Colorado. And they basically said they were going to do a big presentation to the dental students in the dental school in there. And basically, anyone was welcome to come. So I bought a plane ticket, and I uh, was ready to go. And it ended up falling through. They didn't have enough interest. And um I, I already had a, a plane ticket and everything, so I I told Sandy, I said, Hey, I'm you know, I'm still coming out. Is there any way we could still meet and you know talk through things and stuff? She was super nice. So, you know, I spent a few hours with her. I spent some of the day shadowing another local doc. He had graduated from Creighton uh, a year or two before me. So Anyway, I'm getting a little bit off track, but Sandy introduced me to another dentist that had uh, a couple practices in Florida, and uh, I started talking with him. We, our minds, you know, uh, really clicked, and he really wanted to um, offer uh, partnership in in growing his practices, and he wanted to continue to grow more. And actually, at this point, he has I think seven practices. Uh, really awesome guy. But again, decided that it, it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted. And a big part of the difficulty for me in, in partnership was I felt that I needed to be very well aligned in order to partner with someone. I was relatively comfortable with the idea of going out on my own. And that's kind of what I wanted to do more. So if I was going to partner with someone, I needed to feel very in sync. And uh, it just didn't happen for me. So then I continued and decided that I would consider a startup. I paid for some demographic uh, research in my area. Again, I stayed looking in that area of Omaha. We had, uh, in, in Nebraska, we had 
a pretty cheap living there. And I thought, man, if I could, if we can do this and live, you know, cheaply for another couple years after really going to make some headway uh, with income and investing and paying off loans and stuff like that. I had a realtor and a lease negotiator and found, found a couple of viable spots, but, uh, I ended up deciding not to go through with that. It just wasn't enough of a slam dunk situation for me to move forward. So I again moved on and to my last stop, which was deciding on an acquisition. Uh, Again, I started kind of looking in my general area and then over time, my reach expanded outward and I... I ended up finding an area uh, that I was interested in as far as practices that I that I was finding pretty good numbers and, and uh, evaluations on. But again, let me back up a little bit. When I first started doing this, brokers and people were not real keen on giving out financials and pro formas and all of this uh, stuff, evaluations and appraisals to, you know, this dental school kid. When they know that uh, you know I've got a, a timeline, I can't I can't be in there until I've got a license, and so it's a it's a risky move. Um, it's also much more difficult to get financing as as a student. So it, it just is overall something that's pretty risky. So a lot of brokers didn't want to waste their time on me, and I totally understand that. But uh, just being able to get access to some of these things allowed me to start evaluating and running the numbers on these practices. And even though, you know, maybe I was still a year away from being able to make offers or like really move forward with anything, I felt that it was an investment. Um, I knew that because I was not as competitive of a buyer that when I found something that I wanted, I would need to act quickly and do whatever I could because if the seller had multiple offers, I was very likely going to be ranked the very last because of my situation still being a student. That, for me, was part of front-loading the process. You guys have heard us you know, use this term several times, front-loading the process, and that essentially means putting in the work beforehand so that you can reap the benefits in the future. I didn't want to get in a situation where I was ready to buy a practice and found one that I liked, but because I hadn't done enough due diligence, I couldn't really be confident in the opportunity. So by putting in the time beforehand, a year before I was really ready, I was able to go through probably over a hundred different practices as far as what they looked like on paper, look at their demographics, uh, look at kind of talk to my wife. Hey, is this somewhere we'd be comfortable living? Living, um, and and do this so many times so that when I actually found this this practice that I ended up buying here in Lufkin, Texas, I was ready to to move pretty quickly. So I, I found this practice. I loved the numbers. It was doing around six hundred thousand a year, which I felt confident that I would be able to replicate. Uh, the seller was referring out a good amount, not doing any advertising, wasn't in network with any insurances, um, great location, but very poor signage, no website. There was uh, just a lot of things that I knew that I'd be able to come in and, and change pretty, pretty quickly. So 
I came down during my spring break and came with my, my wife and kids, visited the area, and uh, we decided to, to pull the trigger and essentially moved, moved forward with it. So that was kind of my experience as far as that goes, as far as uh, the acquisition, evaluations, and kind of getting myself and uh, evaluating different options. So again, it worked to my benefit being open-minded and continuing to look at a lot of different options, but that also meant it was, you know, essentially two years of continuing changing my mind and working towards another option until I found the one that I was ready to commit to. Let me talk next about uh, clinical preparation. Um, because I knew that I was going to be essentially brand new and on my own and not have mentorship, um, I, I knew that it was very important for me to do as much as possible to, to understand real-world dentistry. And the, the very best thing that I did at the time was just spending a lot of time on Dental Town by just kind of reading threads every day that that uh, dentists were posting i was able to see what the common issues were and that was that was everything across the board with clinical to em employee management to business decisions and growth all of those kinds of things but um specifically in specifically clinically it still was a huge opportunity um so I'm going to talk through each one of those things a, a little, uh, some different clinical areas. First being uh, root canals. Typically in dental school, we don't get a lot of experience in root canals. I think I did around 15 to 20 root canals in dental school, which is uh, more than than most probably. Uh, I got an award for like endodontic student of the year. I thought I was a hot shot and... Uh, Part of that was because I, I spent a lot of time with the instructors, kind of picking their brains. I would, I would, you know, before I had a case, I would go in, review the x-ray with them, talk about, um, you know, common mistakes, work through it. And then I do the same thing when I finished a case. I'd finish it, go after hours, talk about it, review the x-ray, review like difficulties that I had in negotiating the canals or whatever and talking through those things. So I'm sure it made me seem like a bit of a, uh, a bit of a suck up, but really I just wanted to learn as much as possible from each scenario. I also posted my root canals on Dentaltown. I took screenshots of the x-rays and shared them and said, hey, I'm a dental student. Um, I want to learn as much as I can. You know, give me some feedback on, on some of these. And that was a great experience too. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot that you can do for sure in, in dental school, uh, even with limited amount of, of clinical opportunities. The next area was oral surgery and extractions. I, uh, again, was fortunate to be at Creighton, which was uh, a really good school for just general dentistry, getting kind of a lot of different exposure to different clinical scenarios. And uh, again, I would kind of do the same similar thing, uh, talk through things with instructors before a case, talk about my approach and thoughts, work through the case. And I always try to do as much as I, as I could before, you know, asking the instructor for help and guidance. Um, and then after the case, again, review with the instructor, what went well, where did I have issues? What could I do differently next time? I didn't get a ton of experience with wisdom teeth, but I did get a, a, a decent amount where I came out of school actually some relatively comfortable with, uh, with, with wisdom teeth and even doing some impactions. There's a great thread on Dentaltown by Jeremy Thornton, who is a, a general dentist that only does third molars. 
and travels around. He's actually in the Houston area. So I actually have got to meet him and, uh, he's, he's still, you know, a really cool mentor to me, uh, really great guy. So I was able to, again, come out of dental school, having a, a decent experience with that. Implants was another awesome opportunity. I was able to pl- place about 10 to 15 implants. And a lot of that is with uh, a lot of supervision, but that was still in dental school where I felt relatively comfortable coming out of school and being able to place simple uh, single teeth implant crowns and even some overdentures. I was able to do a few cases in dental school of overdentures. So again, uh, that was still tough. Still ha- having to kind of pick and choose which cases I was willing to take on and and not. But uh, great opportunity. Again, going back to Dental Town. Now I think it's probably more common for maybe uh, Facebook networking groups, maybe even Instagram or, you know, some other areas where there's uh, networking groups for for dentists. And you're going to find a lot of uh, groups of dentists talking about cases and, and sharing things. But uh, those didn't really exist when I was in school. Um, dental town was it. Um, but uh, again, Dental students, for the most part, see things in a very narrow view. They're thinking more about, you know, just, okay, what are the steps that I have to do? Um, How do I get a good score on this? You know, things like that. That's pretty limited in perspective. And they can get out in the real world. And then, you know, it's like pretty overwhelming what real world dentistry is like and what a real schedule is like and what dealing with patience is like. And so for me, getting on and and reading those everyday occurrences and and hearing what kinds of situations dentists were faced with was so valuable. It was able to to help me approach dental school differently because I, I could do it with that type of perspective in mind. It also was very helpful because I'm able to read posts and see all these oh crap moments from dentists where, you know, things go wrong and they need help. So they post the case and ask for for help. So there was several times in private practice when I had never seen something personally before. It was my first time experiencing something. But because I had kind of seen other dentists work through it and talk through it, I was able to stay relatively calm and help the patient understand, you know, this, this does happen. This is possible. You know, we, we talked through this, here's how we're going to manage this. And, um, just was able to give me a lot of, of confidence in some of those times that could have been very stressful. Don't get me wrong. It's still stressful because, you know, I want to do the best that I can. Um, but it, it did make it much more doable for me. So that kind of wraps up clinical. The last thing I'm going to talk about is leadership and business preparation. For the most part, for me, this came down to books, which is not going to work for everyone. I know that everyone uh, has different kind of abilities to kind of mentally work through something and then be able to execute it versus others just needing hands-on experience. And this was probably the area that I was most nervous about because I had never really had to run a business. You know, everybody talks about leadership experience and I didn't feel like I really had any significant leadership experience. You know, I always thought of leadership as being able to stand up in front of a crowd and motivate people to do something. And I didn't see myself as being that type of person. 
But again, front loading the process, the more information that I could develop my mind and become a leader and understand principles in my mind, the more I'd be able to hit the ground running after school. So I read a lot of different books on business development and leadership development. Um, and I'm not going to go through those books and talk through it now because I'm already making this episode longer than our, our normal episodes. I mean, if you want to start by just Googling, you know, best business and leadership books, that's going to give you a, a great place to, to start. There's a lot of really great podcasts out there as well. But for me, this ended up paying off so much. Uh, when I was starting out in practice, I was so overwhelmed with the workload and I didn't have the time or the energy to listen to podcasts and, and read these books and to, you know, like really try and, and push as far as growth in that way. Um, and so I really was able to draw from, you know, those years from reading those books and where when I read a book, I was able to really internalize the information. And when I say that, when I read a book, I read the book with fully with the intent of applying the information in my life, if I believe it. I don't read books just for fun. I don't read books just to read them. I, I read books to let them impact my life. So when I do that, I essentially read. And if I agree and I believe that person, then I start to practice that in my, in my life, even if it's just mentally as far as how I would approach certain situations. And I was surprised, and I think most people would be too, how much you can apply from leadership and mindset books in your everyday life, even if you're not in charge of other people. The way that you communicate with others and, and problem solve, the way that you approach your own problems mentally, there's so much progress that we can make on that uh, on our own in very simple everyday scenarios. And I was able to do that. And when I ended up in ownership, that all really came back to me. And there was a lot of things I was able to draw from without having to kind of stop and think and, you know, go read a book to try and figure out what to do. And that was incredible for me. So again, front loading the process, the, the more that you can do before you actually need that set of skills, the faster you're going to be able to run with your opportunities when the opportunities arise. So that's kind of the synopsis of everything as far as working up to, to graduation. A big part of my experience as well is having a vision. Like I said, when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I decided I wanted to be financially independent by the age of 45. Um, and, and that changed over time. Um, by dental school, uh, by the end of dental school, I believed that there was enough opportunity in dentistry that my time frame could be five to seven years where I could be able to earn enough, invest enough, build enough equity to 
basically become financially independent. And like I said, over time, things change. And the point the point of that is not to hit exactly what you very first envisioned. It's, it, it goes back to the conversation of what, what's the purpose of a goal? A lot of times when I'm working with clients for the first time, it, setting goals is, is a difficult process. Uh, some people set goals that are too easy to achieve and others that are probably unrealistic. And we have to have this conversation of, you know, what's the point of a goal? And, and the point of a goal in my opinion, in my experience, the point and the purpose of a goal is to aid you in your growth. It's to stretch yourself. It's just a tool. It's a tool to help you get the most out of life. If there's no goals, then there's no direction. And we basically, when we don't have any goals and we're not shooting for anything and we're not being intentional, we're basically throwing up our hands and saying, ah, you know what? We're okay with however however the cards are dealt, you know. And I I don't think that that's uh, that's definitely not the best way to approach it, right? Um I mean the whole point of our podcast and so much of what we're sharing is that you should be intentional with your life. You can get so much more out of your life if you're willing to uh, approach it in this way. And so for me, starting out with the goal of 45 and then coming up with this time frame of five to seven years, um, I knew that that was aggressive, but I did believe that it was possible. I had crunched the numbers. Um, I remember I, I, it was on yellow lined paper on a notebook, and I remember running all the numbers for different ways that I could make this possible. At the time, I thought it was going to be through growing multiple practices and selling to a DSO because of these high multiples. Interestingly, you know, that was 10 plus years ago. And so come a ways since then, but you know, that's still very possible. Anyway, the point that I'm trying to get across is to start somewhere, start with a goal. You need to have some kind of a, of, of a timeline. Too many times we are just okay setting, um, setting our, our, ourselves on autopilot and just being okay with wherever we end up. And we only have one life. You have one, one, one time, one chance to, to live this, these experiences. You have one childhood with your kids. Your, your kids get one childhood, one time of living in your home and having these experiences. So recognize that stop, step back and look at that opportunity and realize that you do have so much control over what you get out of this time of life and out of these kinds of experiences. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Like I said, next time I'll be following through and kind of talking about the first while in my practice in ownership and um, how I was able to grow things and kind of that next step that really was the rubber hitting the road. So as always, feel free to reach out to any of us. We are always happy to, to talk. My email is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at thelifestylepractice.com. Um, reach out and, and let me know if you have any questions about anything that I've talked about. 
Um, or if you want to just let me know what your goals are and you know where you're at in this process, then I, I'd be happy to, to hear from you. Or if you want to talk about coaching opportunities as well, obviously that's what we're here for and that's what we specialize in. Take care, everyone, and we will talk to you next time. Break a sweat, cause I live my life like it's all I got.